when the days for Jesus being taken up were fulfilled, he resolutely determined to journey to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On the way, they entered a Samaritan village to prepare for his reception there, but they would not welcome him because the destination of his journey was Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they journeyed to another village. As they were proceeding on their journey, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus answered him, Foxes have dens, and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. And to another he said, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. But he answered him, let the dead bury their dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to my family at home. To him, Jesus said, no one who sets a hand on the plow and looks to what was left behind is fit for the kingdom of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, some of you may know I just uh, recently returned from uh, uh, about a week and a half uh, vacation. I uh, drove from here to Sequoia National Forest, Yosemite, Napa, up the Oregon coast, Washington, Walla Walla, back down Idaho, Utah, and back into Arizona. It was a whirlwind trip and a lot of traveling, and it gave me a new sense uh, to this gospel reading is that driving all day you get tired and sometimes you're very weary. Now, most of the work was being done by my Tacoma. I was just sitting in there steering. But Jesus and his disciples, they had to walk up and down hills and rocks, and they'd probably sleep in on the ground. And after they were tired, they were coming into Samaria on their way to Jerusalem. They decided, let's stop in the Samaritan village, and we'll get some rest. You know, maybe a real bed, some good food, recharge our batteries and we'll make the, the, the journey to Jerusalem. Only to find out that the Samaritans weren't too pleased to know that there was a group of Jews who were heading to Jerusalem, passing through Samaria. And so they said, no, 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 you are not welcome here. And they had to walk for miles around this village in order to find some other place to go to and then maybe eventually to Jerusalem. James and John, as it appears in the gospel, were not happy about this, and we, now, we know now why their nickname was Sons of Thunder. 
because they said to Jesus, let's pray and beg God to send down fire from heaven to consume these people. He was not too happy. Well, on my trip, I kind of have a new sense of appreciation for the frustration that James and John had. You see, when we were coming out of Walla Walla, Washington, down into Idaho, um, uh, we were coming through a little town, and there was a, a flying J, one of those truck stops. And the, the guy who was with me said, we should stop here and, and fill up the tank with gas. And I looked at my gas meter, and it was, I still had almost three quarters of a tank. I said, I think we're good till the next stop. Uh, but you see, we were towing a large trailer, and my gas mileage was horrible. So for miles and miles, we went through uh, vast areas of land where there was no population. And I saw my gas go down to half a tank. Now it was down to one quarter left, and I was like, okay, we really need some gas now. There was a little town on the, on the, on the GPS coming up, I think it was Huntington, and as we approached, there was only one exit for Huntington. We saw the sign that said, food and gas. Was, oh, we're saved. And we pull off to this exit, only to find out that this gas station was boarded up. There was no gas there. The windows had wood boarded up. And there was nothing else in Huntington at all. There was, there was no store or nothing. So we had to get back on the highway. And I, was, I felt like... I could relate to James and John. I wanted to take a shotgun to that sign that said food and gas because it was offering hospitality, but there was none there. And so I could see how James and John were very upset when after their long journey, they wanted to recharge only to find that there was no hospitality in that village. Now I ended up running out of gas and I pulled over. But luckily I was a Boy Scout and I had a five gallon jerry can on the back end of my truck and I was able to fill up get another quarter tank and then we did eventually find a gas station. That ever happened to any of you? Just me? Okay. I, as Christians we're called to follow the example of Jesus and Jesus gives us a beautiful and a powerful example right here in this gospel and that is that Jesus rebukes James and John how dare you say something like that, that God should consume these people for doing in what their mind is that they're doing good. They think that they're serving God. You know, the Jews and Samaritans didn't have a whole lot in common, and the Jews even believed that to step your foot in Samaritan ground was to make you unclean. And the Samaritans had a similar view of the Jews. And so by learning that their destination was Jerusalem and their division, they thought they were doing good by refusing them hospitality, but the bottom line is that Jesus is willing to suffer their conversion. I think in another gospel, he says, they may yet come to believe. To believe what? That I am the Messiah. And Jesus was heading down to Jerusalem to suffer and die for the sins of all mankind, even those people that rejected him in that little village. And yet there might come a time when these Samaritans too would believe in who Jesus was and that he would suffer in Jerusalem and die for them as well. And so Jesus says, no, and we are going to suffer their conversion. Think about that in your own life. Are there people in your life maybe that don't do what you want or maybe aren't showing you hospitality and you're angry with them? 
but we too are called to suffer the conversion of another person. Maybe it's somebody that you're inviting to come to church with you, and they don't want to go to church. Maybe it's a, a, a child who's grown up and stopped going to church, and you're angry with them. And some of you might even say, Lord, give them some struggle in life so they'll come back to you, you know, put something in their path. But we're oftentimes called to suffer the conversion of the other. And in the face of what seems like evil, we should, rather than respond with evil, respond with love. Jesus said, love even your enemies. Do good to those who persecute or hurt you. What good is it for uh, someone who's, who does good for those who do good for him? Even the pagans do that. So we are called to suffer in the face of rejection, in all sorts of, of different ways, the conversion of the other person. And so, uh, are we doing that? Are we following that example of Jesus and our willingness uh, to suffer when someone doesn't see things the way that I do? Um, maybe if you give them some time, they will. As Christians, we're called to follow Jesus and to, to put his teachings into practice in our life. And we hear in this gospel reading, uh, Jesus gives us some pretty practical things. What he, how he sees people who are called to follow him. If I could just uh, uh, repeat a little bit of the gospel. There was a, a man who said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have dens and the birds of the air have places to roost, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another man, follow me, Lord, he said. Let me first... Let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead, but you go and, uh, and tell abroad the good news of the kingdom of God. And to the third man, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my folks at home. And Jesus says, no man who puts his hand to the plow looks back is the right kind of man for the kingdom of God. And so here we have the words of Jesus on these three would-be followers. And if we would be followers of Jesus, maybe there's things there that we could learn ourselves. To the first man, Jesus' advice was, before you follow me, count the cost. Foxes have dens, birds have nests. Son of man has nowhere to lay his head. No one can ever say that he was induced to follow Jesus under false pretenses, like a, as if, if becoming Christian was going to make your life easier. If any of you think that being Catholic is going to make your life easier, then somebody has misled you. Following Jesus is very difficult, requires suffering, and through that suffering, beauty and goodness come out of it. I think the more that we do it, the, the less we realize that we're actually suffering and it feels just normal. But for the new person coming in, let no one be under the guise that to be a Christian is easy, simple. Anyone could do it, right? Jesus told people that to be a follower of him was going to be difficult. Pick up your cross and follow me. It's very difficult for a person in Jesus' time to hear that because that was the, the worst form of death anyone could imagine to carry a cross and then to be crucified to it. Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you as well. 
And so no one should be under the pretense that Jesus promised me an easy life. It may well be that we have done great hurt to the church by letting people think that membership in the church need not cost them much at all, except for an hour on Sunday. We ought to tell them that if they want to become a Christian, it's going to be very difficult and they would likely need to change everything about their lives. Chesterton once said that being a Christian changed everything about you, even the way you brush your teeth. I had to think about that one for a little bit. I don't know if he meant that literally, but I started thinking about that. I said, well, brushing my teeth, well, it's something that you do every day, maybe even multiple times a day. And sometimes, you know, we're, we, we have our sins and we're constantly asking God throughout the day to forgive us our sins. But there, there's some hidden sins in between your teeth. You have to floss, work hard to get them out. I'm not exactly sure what Chesterton meant by that, but I know that it's true that being a Christian changes the way that you look at everything. Maybe they see your teeth. I'm called to be a good steward of my body. Sometimes I let it go and I don't take good care of it, and yet I should. And so being a Christian changes the way that you think about everything. We might have fewer people in the church if we tell them that they're going to suffer to be a Christian, but those that we do have would really be pledged to Christ and truly wanting to live out and be a disciple, follower of Jesus. Jesus' words to the second man sound harsh to us, but they need not be so. In all probability, the man's father was not dead, not even likely to be nearly dead. His saying most likely meant, I will follow you after my father has died, whenever that will be. There was an English official in the East who tells a story of a very brilliant young Arab man who was offered a scholarship to Oxford or Cambridge, whichever he chose. And his answer was, I will take it after I have buried my father. At the time, his father was in good health and not much more than 40 years of age. The point that Jesus is making here is that in everything, there, crum there comes a crucial moment when action is necessary. If that moment is missed, then the thing most likely will never be done at all. The man in the story had stirrings in his heart to follow Jesus, but he missed that. if he misses that moment to follow Jesus, he may never actually go about doing it. Psychologists tell us that every time we have a great thought about doing a good thing and we play it out in our mind, you imagine you doing something good for another person, or whatever action it is, but we do not act on it, the less likely it is that we will do anything at all. The emotion, the thinking about it, becomes a substitute for the action itself. Take, for example, sometimes we feel that we should write a letter, perhaps sympathy or thank you, or perhaps even a congratulatory note. And if we put it off until tomorrow or tomorrow or tomorrow, it will in all likelihood never be written at all. Jesus urges us to act at once when our hearts are stirred by God's grace to do something to follow him. And there is no time like the present 
to do something that God is calling us to do. Maybe there's something in your heart right now that God has put in your, in your thoughts today or this week, and you're thinking about when I'll get to it eventually, or I'll put it off, I'll put it off. If, if all you do is think about it, chances are you'll never actually act on it. And Jesus says to be my follower, you've got to act when the Father puts something like that on your heart. His words to the third man state a truth which I think no one can deny. No plowman ever plowed a straight line while looking back over his shoulder. The, the plowman always keeps his eyes straight and he never looks back, takes his eye off of the line that he's moving for. Once he's finished, he can look back and see that he's plowed a pretty straight line. But if you're constantly turning away and looking around your shoulder, you're your lines become more like S's. And I think many of us uh, do that in different ways, spiritually speaking. We look to our past and our failures, and why we can't follow God more closely today. Go, oh, I, I committed this great sin. We look at our failures, and we allow our failures to stop us from doing good things in the future. Some people say, oh, God would never want me to do that. I'm a, I'm a terrible sinner. One person I invited to come to church said, no, if I come to church, I'll get struck by lightning. And they allowed their failure to keep them from plowing a straight line from there on out in the future. And sometimes it's a good thing. It's a success that we had in the past, and we keep reliving that success over and over again that we no longer look for what's the next thing that God's calling me to do. And priests suffer from this maybe more than anybody. How many priests do you know that might think, you know, hey, I gave up having a family and children. That was my great thing that I did in the past. And they're not looking for what is this great thing God's calling me to do now, today. And so we need to keep moving forward, always looking to how God is urging us to follow him. Not our success in the past, not our failure in the past. What is God calling me to do in the, right now, tomorrow, in the future? We keep our goal on the horizon. Jesus didn't say, follow me or return. He said, "Accept." I don't accept lukewarm service. And he left the man to make his own decision. So today as we uh, reflect on this reading, let us be reminded that God calls us to suffer the conversion of others. God calls us to follow him. And when he calls us uh, to follow him, we know that it's going to cost us something, but in the end, he'll bring beauty out of our suffering. Jesus, when he calls us to follow him, he wants us to act on it and not put it off until tomorrow, and that we should trust if God's calling us to something that we don't let things in the past, whether successes, we, I've done enough, or failures to keep us from moving in the future. Amen.